I, you know, I'm going to reserve judgment on this story until I hear the interview because, uh, you know, it's, it's there's some sensitive material here. But uh, Kitchener family making, well, I mean, they're taking Cineplex to court to help with ongoing costs for Chad Veenhoff after he almost died choking on popcorn in a movie theater eight years ago. Um, so they're suing Cineplex after uh, their son choked on popcorn and almost died. And there's some long-term uh, facts. He's, you know, he's he's in rough shape after it, and they at least want to recover some costs. Um, again, we'll, we'll listen to this, then we'll, we'll make our judgments. But uh, Rick J. Veenhoff, father of Chad, joined the Scott Thompson show today. First of all, how's Chad doing? Give us a bit of an update on on how he's doing day to day. Well, Chad has uh, recovered. Uh, it took about uh, six months in semi comatose state. Uh, he did a couple of years in a wheelchair. Uh, he's had to relearn everything. Uh, today he has uh, trouble with his balance and uh, walking. That's what we need the therapy for. Uh, therapist believes that he could walk uh, on his own with uh, some intense therapy. And he has some vision issues. He, he sees only tunnel vision uh, with no peripheral uh, and sees double. Man. Uh, so take us back eight years ago. What happened? Well, I was actually act, uh, called to go to the theater. So we got a call from somebody that was in the theater that was friends with Chad saying that something was going on with my son. And I was nearby. I raced over to the theater. I got there about 15 minutes after the incident started to happen. Uh, my son was uh, at that time in the lobby on the ground. Uh, they were doing uh, CPR and uh, using the paddles. <clears throat> um, about another 15 minutes later, they finally got a pulse. So he was VSA for about 33 minutes. Um, as a parent, that's a, obviously a very scary thing. Um, I talked to his girlfriend who was with him at the time, and I talked to a first responder that, that uh, claimed that they didn't uh, allow him to help. Um, and when they did get the pulse back, I, I, I kind of thought everything would, would be okay. I, I uh, assumed that he'd go to the hospital, he'd be out the next day, and, and we'd get on with life. But uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a struggle. So from uh, what you know, uh, his girlfriend was there with him. What exactly did happen that night? Well, we're, we're not sure. Uh, he, it's been reported uh, that he uh, had smoked a joint a couple uh, hours previous to the movie, and that's true. Um, they did toxicology at the hospital, and they didn't feel that that was an issue. Uh, they're not sure exactly what happened. He might have had a seizure or a heart uh, arrhythmia. Or something happened that would have him inhale the popcorn. So it wasn't really the popcorn that was the problem. It was a, it was a medical um, incident that, that happened. So he physically somehow accidentally inhaled popcorn that blocked his airway. He, he inhaled the popcorn. And, and um, <clears throat> although the, the, the theater uh, assistant manager uh, came to his, uh, to his side, within a, about a minute and a half, um, there was nothing done. When the paramedics got there, they had to take him out of his seat in the theater, um, and and as been reported, the, the theater did not turn on the lights, um, which makes it easier to perform first aid. They didn't stop the movie. Um, they didn't call 911. There was a little bit of a, a time uh, error there because the patron called 911 and didn't know the address. So uh, my complaint, obviously, is that, that the theater has some responsibility, not total, but some responsibility to help uh, a person in a public place um, and expect to uh, them to follow the 911 operator's uh, instructions. So uh, do you have any idea how long before uh, Chad fell ill, before 911 was called? No, I, I believe 911 
was called fairly quickly. Uh, we don't have an exact time because we, we haven't spoken to the 911 caller, but um, soon as he, you can hear on the, and this is hard for a parent to hear, but you can hear in the, in the background Chad choking uh, with, with her on the phone. Yeah. Um, uh, what? So why do you feel Cineplex is responsible for this? What did they do or not do in your mind? Like I'm saying, I'm, I, I'm not trying to say they're totally responsible, but I, I personally feel that when you're in a public place, there should be some policy in, in place for, for uh, any kind of emergency, whether it be a seizure or a heart attack or uh, choking. Um, I, I think there, there should be a policy that, that they have to follow. And, and I believe in, in this case, for example, I went to Stratford uh, 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 live performance in Stratford in the summer, and they have a policy in place that as soon as somebody falls ill, that they stop the performance, they turn on the house lights, and that they ask if there's anybody in the theater that can help. And and I think that's a good policy. And and so my feeling is that if that policy was in place by Cineplex Odeon, um, that my son would be better off today. Uh, now, do you have any reason to believe that it was a long period of time before EMS arrived? You said they got there pretty quickly. At that point, would they not be tending to him? Well, I'm sorry, I didn't hear. Uh, it took them about three and a half minutes to get there, so the time, the fire department, paramedics were there, I believe, at about five minutes. Um, so it, there, there wasn't a long period of time, but the problem was that they, he was left in his seat, and, uh, and 911 operator had asked that they lay him on the ground and turn his head to the side so that... Um, he wasn't choking uh, on on um, his popcorn and vomited any longer. Right. So, uh, so you, what you're disputing is the time between uh, he fell ill and the time that the AMS arrived. Exactly. I, I, I'm certainly not disputing that that Chad had a medical incident mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason, but I am disputing the fact that that you can't perform CPR or first aid uh, in in a dark theater yeah. um, with just a flashlight and. Um, I, I think that there should have been a, a policy. I believe in my heart that if there had been a policy in place, that Chad would be better off today. Who was tending to Chad uh, before the EMS arrived? Well, uh, there was there were three employees that that eventually were in the theater. The assistant manager, who apparently has some first aid training, um, was a, a 42 year old woman and. Um, and I'm not sure why she didn't follow all the instructions, um, and I'm not sure why. Uh, they're saying that they didn't want to turn the lights on because they felt that there would be some kind of stampede or that people would impede the, the paramedics from, from coming in. But most other theater chains have proven that that's not the case. So there was a 42-year-old uh, assistant manager and I believe a couple, a couple ushers. So, um, uh, so the 911 operator would have been in contact with who? The, the people from the theater? No, the, the theater, as far as I know, the theater never called 911. The patron passed the phone, uh, the patron that did call 911, passed the phone over to the uh, assistant manager uh, at one point. And so, uh, and, and you're reporting that the 911 operator at that point said, take Chad out of the seat and put him on the side. Why didn't they do that? I, that's a good question, Scott. I, I don't know. Um, obviously, some, you see, you know, this has gone on for a number of years now, and, and, and I've had to borrow um, a significant amount of money for Chad's therapy. It's not covered under OHIP anymore. And and because of Chad's brain injury, he, he does go backwards a little bit, so it's an ongoing thing. He has to, he has to keep getting some rehab to, to, to keep learning how to talk and to walk and so on and so forth. And all this stuff costs money. And uh, Cinepax at no time has ever contacted us and, 
and made us any kind of offer or said, uh, you know, here, we're, we're willing to help out. I, I don't know if you remember uh, Costco had an incident in London a couple of years ago. Um, I don't believe Costco was responsible for the, the woman backing into a couple of people. But Costco still, as, as a corporation, put up uh, $50,000 to help the woman with, uh, with rehabilitation. Uh, my question to you is, is uh, Rick, why are you going through this now, eight years after the event? Why didn't you proceed or, or pursue all of this when the accident happened? We, we, we've actually, we've actually been pursuing the, the lawsuit has has been in place for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I just feel I, I got pretty angry when we had our first first meeting just a little while ago with with, with Cineplex in the fact that they believe that everything they did is right. And, and so I guess, you know, as a parent, I don't want to see somebody else's child go into a theater and experience the same thing because I don't believe their policies are right. And um, most theaters that I've been to and most theater operators I've talked to don't believe that policy is right either. Um, do, do you know for a fact what their policy is? Is the policy to just keep the show rolling and um, go from there? Well, I, I haven't actually seen any kind of policy, but they have defended the actions that they took by some of the reasons I told you, by um, not turning on the lights might stampede the, the crowd, um, that they didn't need to call 911 because somebody else had, even though that that person didn't know the address of the theater. Um, yeah, and wow. that, that seems like a ball dropper right there, that uh, no matter, uh, you, you know, if you're the proprietor of, a, of an establishment, you're not going to wait till your customers do something. You're going to do it yourself, if, if anything, I, just to cover your I own I would have behind. expected them to call them up, give them the address of, of the theater, and have a master waiting at the front door to, to, to help the paramedics get back to the, to the cinema. All right, there was uh, Scott Thompson with the father of, um, of Chad, who uh, choked on popcorn and and yeah, you know almost died and is still feeling some of the effects. I you know when you first see that title of suing because their son choked on popcorn, you're saying, well, how is it? That's ridiculous. That's a frivolous lawsuit. But I you know I, I don't know. I, I I'll tell you this. If I'm giving the benefit of the doubt, and I'm honestly not even going to judge it because I, the by the sounds of it, okay, they didn't do enough to uh, ensure that paramedics could easily find their way to him, that kind of stuff. Uh, listen, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he has, maybe he has a case. Um, there are a couple things because I have been a part of a medical emergency. Yeah, you were you were mentioning this earlier, where a friend of mine had not a similar thing because he didn't start choking, but he definitely had a, a seizure, which started and then this is like during the movie this was during the movie yeah in the middle of the movie what movie was that uh, didn't they have like a war was it one of those like anime things with a lot of flashing no, lights it, it was deadpool uh oddly enough we found out afterwards that it was a specific scene that triggered it it wasn't That's interesting yeah it was he he had gone to see the exact same movie the night before and had something similar happen and didn't tell us and then went the ni- next night again to see if it was the movie or to see if it was unrelated he was like trying to self-diagnose himself but he didn't what scene was it do you remember uh yeah the when the uh when Deadpool breaks out of the, uh, oh. the the unit and it's on fire, so there's a lot of bright, oh the fire and he lights. walks through the fire. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. So, anyways, well, this is this is happening. Obviously, I'm freaking out. My buddy beside me, like I've sent him to go get the manager. I was really impressed with their response because it was fairly quickly in terms of somebody else in the theater. I think called 911 and they they were quickly coming in asking what they could do. What I was not impressed with was the other people in the theater. Like the other people watching the movie. The other people watching the movie. They reacted so poorly 
complaining and moaning about how their movie was being stopped Come or on. impeded by the manager <laughs> standing in, in the aisle. To help a guy with a seizure. Yeah, and the fact is, because the movie was stopped, everybody got a free ticket. But apparently yeah. that was still not enough for some people. Well, that was a big scene. It was, you know, it was, they, they killed the momentum of the movie. It was absolutely absurd, their reaction. And so that leads me to my point, which is that I think you've got to cut these theater people a little bit of slack because this is the kind of reaction that they're going to get if they stop the movie, and they're kids. You have to remember these theater, the people that work these at theater employees yeah. are kids, well, and, and they're not going to be ready to deal with this kind of a situation. And so sometimes they're going to react well, like in, like in my case, although, again, it was a theater patron who called the, co- uh, called the emergency services, not the theater. Mm. And as for the manager not touching... That's actually a good thing because they should not be touching people in medical distress because yeah, they couldn't fun. make it worse. Right. And so, Especially choking. I mean, it's yeah. one of those things that you can make it worse if you don't know what you're doing. Listen, I was absolutely trying to sit him up and, and do all that, but the manager, I completely understood why they, they couldn't touch my friend. And so it's I, I really think that they need to be given a little bit of slack simply because think about being in your early 20s or even in your teens because my sister worked there and worked at the Cineplex in high yeah, school. But, like, but they're just not equipped to handle well, that but, kind of a but situation. But that's, that's why the argument would be, okay, well, I'm not blaming the people that work there. I'm blaming the company for not better preparing. No, I mean they're not mentally equipped. You can They, they get all this health and safety training, but, but until you're in that situation, you don't know how they're going to react. And some ki- some people, especially kids, are just not going to react well in that yeah, situation. Yeah, I, I can't see Cineplex getting in trouble for this one. I, I, I don't know. And like, It's, it's an awful you know, situation. You know what? The and only th- time... Thank goodness he survived. That's, yeah. that's what we should be focusing on. The only, the only way I could really see them really being responsible is if, let's say, a manager did try to help and made it worse, then I could be like... Well, listen, you know, he actually did this and he caused this or something. Yeah. But the fact that they did nothing probably isn't warranted, isn't warranting a lawsuit. But I don't, again, th- there's different components to this and there's different levels of it. Maybe they'll just end up getting and as for the not, compensated in another way. Yeah. I don't know. As for not stopping the movie, uh, they also, in the case I was involved in, they didn't stop the movie for quite a while until the EMTs actually showed up and had to take my friend out. That was when they finally stopped the movie. So I, I believe that's probably corporate policy. You can probably take them to task on that one because that's probably a money-saving thing because as soon as they stop the movie, they have to hand out free tickets to everybody. Mm. So uh, that's, They're hoping just to get by. And, sure. Uh, that, yeah, that, well. that is more... Well, because, I mean, when you think about the things that could happen in a theater, you could have people that, let's say, start vomiting in the theater. Mm. That's on some level a medical thing but it's also not the kind of thing that you're going to stop the movie for Mm -hmm. and so they probably have this particular policy in place to kind of weed out the things that don't i have to imagine i have to imagine that seizures probably happen more frequently than we think i mean if certain things like that can trigger like i would think that they're more common choking would have to be more common because i mean popcorn has to be like the number one thing that people choke on um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see how it plays out. I don't even know if I really have an opinion on it because, quite honestly, it, it's I don't know. I, I kind of I do kind of feel bad. I of course I feel bad for, for yeah. the guy it happened to, but it's just I don't know. It feels like they're lashing out at, at they're lashing out at someone that didn't really do anything. Wrong. Yeah, and I, I do like the the you know the throwing in there that he was 
smoking pot before the movie, and that somehow would I mean which that, which I love. They're like that problem that definitely didn't have an effect on it. I'm like, well, let's maybe. You think it wait. would though? It might have had an effect on. Really, it. you think so? I, on choking? I think that it could have. I don't know. I don't know if smoking pot like a half hour earlier would have done that. Because I mean, while he was, um, yes. Oh, see, that's part of Cineplex's claim that he was on illegal substances at the time of the catastrophic brain injury caused by a lack of oxygen. So they want to. So they're they're using the weed thing as a defense. Is Cineplex? Listen, they're being sued. They're gonna yeah. they're gonna do whatever it takes. That's I maybe I sound like the cold, heartless guy siding with the corporation. Well, I, I just it, don't but, know how that would have had an effect. But it was like, oh, it says it was a couple hours before the movie. I don't know. I don't what what I don't. Know. Care. We'll just see how it plays out. Uh, Nick Kuvalis, who's the uh, he's the campaign manager for Kelly Leach, he just resigned because he called himself a distraction to the campaign, which I can only assume was his objective going into it. He's the guy that um, uh, he called a political science professor on on uh, on Twitter. He called him a, a cuck, a, you know, a cuckold. That's the new you know, along with snowflake and all those other terms that are gaining some steam. Um, I'm just, if you're a campaign manager, maybe just like manage the campaign. Why are you even on Twitter stirring up controversies? And the fact that he says, I'll tell you, I mean, here's my interpretation of it. Kelly Leach is trying to distance herself from that whole Trump thing, that whole Trump image. I mean, she didn't, she's not doing very well because she's been given plenty of opportunity, including on this station to distance herself from Trump. She's not, but Nick Kuvalis being the campaign manager that like calls people names and gets into it on Twitter, like that's such a Trump thing. So I don't know if she's like now starting to realize that she has zero chance if she keeps that stuff up. Uh, yeah, so that guy's out, and I'm assuming the next person that comes in will not be getting into arguments on social media because your job is literally just to manage the campaign, not be uh, not be in the spotlight. So, so that's that. Um, you know, teen sleep. I. I think again, my initial reaction is when we say, "Well, kids aren't getting enough sleep." I would the, the natural thing would be, "Well, okay, so just go to bed earlier." But apparently, there's actually a biological reason as to why uh, that's difficult. So delaying school start times uh, could help Canadian teenagers sleep better, giving them a better chance for success, according to McGill University researchers. Uh, Guest Genevieve, Doctor Genevieve. Gary A.P., postdoctoral research associate at the Institute for Health and Social Policy at McGill University, joins the program. And uh, I, I guess, first of all, what, what prompts a study like this? Why, why was this so interesting? Why did you decide to uh, research it? Well, first of all, we know that about one in three teens don't get enough sleep, and uh, we wanted to know why. Uh, we know that from adult studies that... Um, adults that start that have you know a problem schedule either they do night shifts or they start early in the morning they have problems sleep and so I thought that maybe that was the case with school start time too and uh, I started to look at that with this data set that I had fortunately um, which asked kids about um, their sleep mm-hmm. Yeah, and so when you go through a study like this, how do you, uh, I mean, how do you gather the data? What what kind of, you know, what goes into a study like this to ensure you get uh, accurate information? Uh, you ask a lot of kids. So we had 30,000 kids from across all of Canada. Wow. 
um, from east to west all the way up to the Arctic Circle. Uh, we had over 360 schools, and so so just a lot of data. And and so what, in terms of even just the the science behind you know why we need a certain amount of hours of sleep, um, I'm assuming eight hours is still the kind of benchmark. Uh, well, it is for adults, but for teens, the average is something like nine hours. Oh. If you're, you know, more of like a tween, between 11, 12, 13, you actually need more like 10 hours of sleep. And depending on your activities, too, you probably need more. So, and so why, why are kids not getting uh, the proper amount of sleep? Um, well, that's a good question. There's sleep habits. Um, there's talks about, you know, using your cell phone before sleep. That's not a good thing. Um, uh, you know, not going to bed early enough. Um, all these things matter. Um, but there's also school start time, and this is what my study found. And the idea behind that is that as teens get into puberty, there's sort of a, a delay in their circadian rhythm that happens. And so their whole sleep cycle shifts by about two or three hours which makes them really difficult for them to wake up before, or sorry, to fall asleep before 11 or midnight and to wake up before 8 or 9. And so if you have a school that starts at 8 or 9, you're basically asking students to be at school when they actually should be sleeping. And so that cuts into their sleep, and that becomes a problem. And so... Yeah, so so then how, and, and I guess, you know, a lot of people say, well, okay, so why don't we just have kids go to bed earlier? Uh, well, that's it. So the problem isn't just sleep habits, but it's there's biological underpinning. I see, okay. We think that it's because it's, it's um, changes in hormones during puberty that causes this shift. Okay. And so biologically, kids just can't fall asleep before 11 and they have a really hard time they're fighting biology to wake up at six or seven it's basically like asking an adult to wake up at like three or four in the morning and be at work ready to go at five so what time is an ideal start time for school for teens well my study only looked at schools i mean in canada schools start between 8 and 9 30 mm-hmm. on average so i can't speak to beyond 9 30 but we know that even at 9 30 that has you know significant benefits for for teens so i mean it indicates basically that starting at 9 30 perhaps even 10 but we don't even have data on that that you know that could be an ideal start time for teens but it's also important to realize that shifting the start time even let's say school starts at 8 and moving it to 8:30 would be beneficial for sleep right yeah and and i guess you know the whole you know then i guess people would be concerned of and this isn't really you know it's not for lack of a better term it's not your problem here i mean you're just doing the study but um you know the issue of now kids having to be at school later and also conflicting with work schedules and i think we're just we're almost wired to have a regular you know eight to four nine to five work day and so there's almost like a cultural shift that would have to, to you know be undertaken in a sense yeah i think you're right i think i mean obviously there's a lot of barriers like that and also I think for parents it's difficult, as you say, but also like the bus scheduling can be problematic right. as well. Um, I agree with all that, and you're right. I think I think these are things that we all have to think about, but I think at least now we know that this is something that we can 
I mean, if we don't know there's a problem, then we can't do anything right. about it. So we know now that this is something that perhaps we can address, and perhaps slowly we can change school start time. And many schools have done it across Canada, so it is possible. But we need to start the conversation. Are, are there other, even just you know, countries or areas of the world where they've made the adjustments so that kids can get more sleep? Uh, there's again, no, there's not a whole country, but there's been pockets in Scandinavia, for example, and they found that it does have a benefit. Okay, Genevieve, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, so it's I, I mean, again, these are things that, in order to change the start time to a school day, I mean, you're talking about a sweeping change because I mean that time correlates with. You know, work days, and we're programmed in that nine to five type thing. So, I mean, that's going to be awfully difficult. And I, I mean, I don't even know what the answer would be there. Well, I mean, I, I've seen some studies that say that the nine to five thing is not necessarily the best. That that what no. our bodies as adults are programmed for is up with the sun, down with the sun. Yeah. And so, especially in the winter months, the people who have to be up at five a.m. to catch their train and and it's dark until they they're into work is is really not healthy for them no no and there's also you know but i mean the work week in general i mean there's talks of retooling that as well but don't forget the, the nine to five thing is also you know a beneficial thing because you know at one point there were no labor laws so i mean yeah. they had to come in and they had to set some kind of guideline and that was the one that was just universal and that was agreed upon and that's kind of the western way of doing things I know other countries do things differently. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know, I mean, really, what is the, the answer here? Obviously, they got to do more into... Uh, the the fact that it's a biological has to do with, you know, puberty as to why kids can't go to bed earlier, I thought was interesting. And the whole cell phone thing, I mean, I don't want to be like the old... Because I'm on my cell phone all day and all night. Oh, yeah. But it keeps you up. I mean, it is hard oh, yeah. to ignore. I mean, when you're, like, laying down and that phone buzzes beside, you can't, it's so hard to ignore. Oh, yeah. It's just the way, it's just the way we are. I, yeah. I get into a lot of trouble with that because, you know, I've got, because of the, the, the hours that I work and the fact that I have a, a friend who also works similar hours, we're often texting at, like, 2 or 3 in the morning, and if I'm trying to go to sleep and that phone buzzes, going. I'm just, I'm yeah. gonna, the conversation will continue. And someone will say, why don't you just turn off your buzzer and your, th then I'll say, but I want to know if someone's texting also, me or yeah, something happens. If my happened. phone rings, then that, I want to know. That, that is important because it, when you work late at night, yeah. you sometimes sleep into the hours that normal people are up, mm -hmm. and thus normal people. Well, well, no, you're you're right. You had it right. I'm not wrong. <laughs> abnormal. Um, we we are here at eight thirty at night. Big, the big news today, which we I mean we kind of knew it was coming, but the announcement with actually I have a question. And I'll, Luke, I can I can ask you this because I don't know. I, I think you know sometimes as a news station, sometimes I think th sometimes th there's a blurry line whether do we care about stories because we're in the news or do we care about it as like does the general public care about stories? LRT is clearly a big story, but I hear from a lot of people that are just like you know what though I don't care because I just want them like just start doing it, like just start building it, just just get going. I don't want to hear about it anymore. But it's still a big story. I mean, you have to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you have to talk about it. But I, I can't remember who was the person who told me this. But it was somebody, I think, in this building who said that uh, we're kind of in a bubble here when, when you work in the media. Yeah. That stories like the LRT mm -hmm. 
seem more important than they might be to the general population. Yeah. There is, it, it's absolutely one of the biggest stories in the city, if not the biggest story in the city right now. But it also only matters to about the same amount of people who voted, which is something like 30% of the, yeah. of the, of the town. Well, and, and they're the ones, and, and I mean, like, it's not that it doesn't affect the other 70%. It's just that they really don't care. And, and, or they just, it's not even that they don't care. They just like, okay, then let's build it. Like, okay, we have LRT. Let's get, let's get going. Like, yeah. I, I, they just, like, they're, they're fine with it. They're fine with whatever. And let's just, instead of talking about it, let's kind of get on with it. Um, the announcement today, though, which again we we alluded to yesterday, the mayor joined us, and uh, you know, the the fact that the the mountain and downtown divide is always this thing, and you know, I thought the announcement today at least uh, attempted to maybe not compromise, but maybe in a way kind of appease both sides. And uh, I mean, Ken Mann was covering the story for us today. Uh, but Stephen Del Duca, the Ontario Transportation Minister, was on Hunter Street there, confirming some changes to Hamilton's LRT system. Uh, Ken can fill you in. Gone is a two-kilometer LRT spur along James Street North in its place. Del Duca says the province will pay for construction of a 16-kilometer bus rapid transit line from the West Harbor to the airport. It's primarily expected to run along Upper James with service to Mohawk College. I don't want to cast anything in stone because we still have more work to do. So it could be a combination of some dedicated lanes, some mixed traffic. I think that's part of the work the team at Metrolink's work with the municipality will look at. Transportation Minister adds that the changes in response to concerns voiced by the community in recent months. There is no change to the planned 11-kilometer LRT line from McMaster to the Queenston Traffic Circle, the cornerstone of the province's billion-dollar commitment. Ken Mann, AM 900, CHML News. So, and we'll get to uh, Fred, Fred Eisenberg, our mayor, was on CHML this morning. I'll play you some of that. I chatted with Bill Kelly just to get some of his reaction. Uh, but I, I do feel like this was this attempt of like, listen, if you're on the mountain and you're saying, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? This was almost one of those like here. We told you we have a bit. There's a there, there's a, a huge plan in place, a transportation plan with buses, with LRT. With It's a big picture thing here. It's 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 a you know 10 year plan. Maybe you won't get a monetary gain. But, uh, you know, at some point this is all going to come together. This was kind of one of those moves that says, "Hey, here, you get. To, we all we're all in this together. We're all getting something, in a way. It's it's a hundred percent appeasement. I like that you use that word because it's they're going to put what like dedicated lanes or mixed lanes at some points mm -hmm. on on Upper James, and that's that's what they're going to that's what they're calling the BRT. There's already an express line that runs up Upper James. It doesn't go all the way to the airport, but it goes all the way to I think the um, the Mountain Transit Terminal, the one that's uh, just past Rymel Road. So they really haven't added anything tangibly to mm -hmm. the to the actual service. They've just added a new lane, which, to be honest with you, because I've ridden that bus quite a few times, it doesn't really. It's not like it needed that lane when when there were bus lanes on King Street. There was a noticeable as a bus rider, like, this is great. Mm -hmm. I can get where I need to go a lot faster. But in terms of on the mountain, I've ridden at all times of the day, and it's there's traffic on Upper James, but it moves pretty well. And so I really, this is just, this is throwing something in there that will cost probably it, it, not it will a lot connect, of money. I mean, it's going to connect, you know, in a way. It brings kind of the, the pole, it kind of brings everything together because it is going to go downtown, and it's still going to, in a sense, connect to LRT. 
Right, but that bus already exists. I think that's... I don't even know that. That's my Does issue. Does it exist? Is that the, the A-line yeah. goes from the harbor to Rymo Road, and it goes and it connects through Mohawk College. See, like, I don't even know that. I don't. Even, I, again, I'm not a bus for... I, 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 I had no idea that there was something was already in place. Unless they're going to add more service for that bus, because... Well, it's it, going to be a dedicated... So is it going to be a dedicated line, though? I, it doesn't run... The A-line right now doesn't run on weekends, but neither does the B-line, and it... Uh, it goes, I think there's like a period in the middle of the day where it also isn't running. Like it runs only really during peak hours. Yeah. So it's going to be improved. So if they add more service, sure, that's an improvement. But again, it's really, they're just kind of putting language in there to appease the mountain people when mm. they haven't really done anything. Yeah. And, and again, not to even, uh, I listen, I've lived on the mountain way longer than I have downtown. I've lived both. Um, but there is this, because when I lived on the mountain, I was that person. That was like, I just didn't get, I I always, you know, I, I would criticize transit, but never even took it. So, like, I was really in no place to. I think you have a segment of people that enjoy complaining. I see no LRT <laughs> signs. Me. Yeah, I, 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 you know, even on the mountain, you look at these, like, uh, lampposts, and, and, oh, and, and there's signs, no LRT. And I really wonder, because every time I've seen some op-eds, like, in the spec, or people calling into the station or commenting on our social media or sending us emails... You wonder if they even have any idea what's going on because they talk about LRT and they're, they're a they they get so much wrong about the information, the facts, and clearly well, these are people that don't even use transit anyway. You know whose fault that is? It's the fault of the councillors in their wards who are still mm. spewing things that aren't true, like saying I want to use the money for infrastructure. Well, you can't, and you haven't been able to for months. For for councillors like Councillor Whitehead and Skelly, especially Councillor Skelly, since it's like that money, it has been very clearly only for LRT since before she got elected. Mm -hmm. And yet she still stands up there in council and says that she wants to use the money for infrastructure. Listen, I could even get behind the idea of using it for infrastructure, but that's not what it's for. We either get the money and build the LRT or we don't get the money at all. Well, and then we had those information sessions on LRT, but all people did was complain. And yep. then Skelly and Whitehead showed up at one and they were accused of hijacking it and, you know, with their own agendas and, and whatever. That was a whole thing, too. But there's been so there there is so much opportunity to get informed about LRT and people don't and refuse to and still complain, which means you just like complaining. And then you know what though, if if that's the case, then just like move out of the way. Like there's progress happening. Hey, it's it's just the new thing. Remember, it was it was door to door mail delivery before this. Oh yeah. And uh, it, as someone who who lives who has also lived on the mountain, I think one of the most I, I guess perfect examples of how sometimes the mountain can be is uh, I was at my parents' place. I wasn't living there at the time. And they live in and around the West 5th and Stone Church area. Mm -hmm. The 35 bus goes into the city block there. It is the only, if you look at a bus map, it is the only bus on the entire mountain that does not stay on the main grid of streets. They were doing some construction on that area. So they moved the stops out to West 5th and Stone Church, mm. so it didn't go yeah, into, yeah. The, into the houses anymore. Yeah. I was waiting for the bus on West 5th, and some lady came up to me and handed me a flyer and said, they're not going to change the stops back when the construction is done, so you should call your counselor. Mm -hmm. And I kind of looked at her and I went, eh, it's really not that much longer of a walk, and everybody else in the city has to do it too. She's like, yeah, but we these are our bus stops. We should be We should have them back. And I'm like... Uh, that yeah. it's it's a sense of entitlement yeah. that that like you again you look at the entire map of the mountain and it's the only place and i'll bet you that's what happened is the city looked at that went 
well, that doesn't make any sense. We're not going to do that anymore. Yeah. And yet, when the construction finished, the bus line moved back because enough people complained. Right. And, and, that, and, 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 enough, and by, by enough people, by enough people, it was probably like five or six, yeah. which yeah, some, exactly. which which have you know constitute because, hundreds. Because let's be honest, a ton of people ride the 35 from Mohawk College downtown. Mm-hmm. I ride it every day from way up at at West Fifth and Stone Church, and there are maybe two or three people on the bus, mm. and that's during rush hour. So it's clear that not a lot of people are using these bus stops. There you go. Yeah. And you you mentioned I think you said this yesterday that even when you know someone who does ride the bus on the mountain, I mean th- th- some of them even with some pretty rare cert like no one's on them. Yeah, I mean and and what that has led to is bad service sometimes is that because the mountain buses don't have as much ridership they don't need to operate as frequently. If the bus is late, uh, they can be really late. Mm-hmm. And so I have had issues like that when riding other ones. The 35, because it's a college bus, is a lot more frequent, so you don't have to worry about that. But especially if you're trying to go across Fennel, uh, Mohawk, Stone Church, all those ones, those buses are very hit or miss in terms of whether or not they show up on time. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think that's probably because there's less riders, and so that's where the HSR puts their, their less tenured drivers who are well, more likely to make mistakes. Well, then then there's the argument of, well, I'm not going to use it, so why should I have to pay for it? Now, could you imagine if we use that argument for everything, that we only pay for what we use? There'd be no schools. I mean, there'd be no uh, senior centers. There wouldn't be any retirement communities. I mean, there there wouldn't be traffic light, enough traffic light. That's a ridiculous argument. You want to oh, yeah. live here where all... Listen, whatever helps, ultimately, you're part of a big picture, the betterment of the city as a whole. I mean, it's either you get on or or get off type mentality. And the fact is that the young people who are using the bus, the college students, Mm -hmm. which are are the majority of, of the riders of the HSR, they're not going to stay riders of the HSR, but if they have a good view of it, then they will realize that it's important for the city. Because Mm -hmm. if you, if you have a terrible transit system, then people aren't going to want to come here for school and they aren't going to want to stay here. Yeah. Transit factors in a lot with, and with the increasing uh, number of young professionals in this city, people that choose to come here to work and to start a business, transit's a big deal because a lot of people don't want to drive anymore. It's not affordable. It's not practical. If I lived in, you know, like I do live downtown now. If I lived here on my own with, like, let's say my family was somewhere else or, you know, I have a lot of connections to the mountains, so I do, I need a car. But I I, I wouldn't need it if no one lived in the mountains. So if I was just like a student here or I came here from another city, I would get rid of my car easily. Because living downtown, I really can get to wherever I need to by using transit. Absolutely. And, And it's affordable. And um, and it, it's 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 very uh, I mean it, it is pretty downtown. Our transit's not bad. I mean the in, in fact I would argue this. Sometimes the buses I don't like people. The buses are too full sometimes. <laughs> I, I when I've been say on them. that that the downtown transit is is actually really quite good. Yeah. And I think one of the best things the HSR ever did was jumping on Presto early mm. because. Uh, one of my beefs with the TTC when yeah. I've had to go there is yeah. that you can use the Presto to ride the subway and you can use the Presto to get on the bus from a subway station, but you can't use your Presto on any of the buses. And so you have to... It's they, a different, was they it like a different system? Well, they don't have the Presto machines on the buses. Oh, that's so like, what, what's super nice about like, I can use my Presto on the HSR and then I can get on the GO train and use it again and then I can get onto the subway. If yeah. I have to venture You're off one the subway for line, everything. Yeah. then it gets to be a problem. Right. And so 
that's a TTC issue. The HSR does not have that issue because the Presto is, is usable everywhere. And the fare is reasonable. Mm-hmm. In comparison with what it is, what it costs to ride the TTC, which I think is either three fifty or four dollars now, mm-hmm. uh, the $2.30 I pay by using my Presto card is very reasonable. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, all right, we're going to hear from uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberg. We'll take a break first, though, um, just to give us a little bit more time. But when we come back, uh, more on the announcement today, the uh, Ontario government canceling the 2-kilometer LRT spur on James Street North in favor of a 16-kilometer. You say kilometer or kilometer? I say kilometer, but a lot of people say kilometer. I don't think it matters. I think I say kilometer. I say kilometer, too. It's enough with the kilometer piece. 